Welcome to another episode of the Reviewing the Brew podcast. I'm your host, David Gasper, joined with me this week with by Dairyland Express co-expert Paul Brettel. Paul, welcome in. Good to have you back after uh, seeing you here last week as well. I'm happy to be here and uh, hope Matthew's enjoying another another fun night out on the town. Yeah, Matthew Dwoskin not joining us for the second week in a row. Last week it was his birthday and he had a hot date with his wife, so he did not join us. And this week, he got tickets to Avengers Endgame. So he told me about this earlier today, and I'm like, you know what? Just go. I understand. So with instead of Matthew DeWaskin, we, we replaced him with another Matthew, Matthew Carroll. Matthew, welcome, welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you on. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. I didn't know if Matthew was one of those guys who took a like week-long birthday thing but i'm glad to hear it's avengers <laughs> oh yeah yeah i don't think he's one of those people to celebrate his birthday for like an entire week i don't know if he's that full of himself i mean he's a little full of himself but then again aren't we all <laughs> and unfortunately i forgot to bring the beer to celebrate um to do what matthew always does and pop the beer <laughs> to open it up, I only I only have the bottle, so and it's just like the twist top, so I wouldn't even make you know the the sound when I opened it either. So, oh well, now I'm just now my beer is just stuck in my fridge at home instead of with me up here. If that's supposed to be a Matthew thing, I'll take that. That's a rookie mistake on my part. Oh no, it's fine. We didn't we didn't tell you about it. it <laughs> Should be like, hey, by the way, can you get a beer <laughs> <laughs> next time? Yeah, next time. So, good to have you back on the Reviewing the Brew podcast. A lot of stuff to talk about after this past week. Um, one of the big things we talked about on last week's episode was Gio Gonzalez and whether or not the Brewers should sign him as he was getting released from his contract with the New York Yankees. You know, the, the pros, the cons, you know, the merits of signing Gio Gonzalez, you know, if they should do it. And Paul and I... I believe we agreed that it'd be a good idea to sign Gio Gonzalez, right? Yep, made a lot of sense to me. And, um, you know, based on his first start back, you know, paid off early on anyways. <laughs> yeah, because the Brewers listened to us. I, I think David Stearns is a fan of the, of the Reviewing Group podcast. <laughs> that must, must be, be what it is. And he <laughs> went out, he signed Gio Gonzalez the next day. And sure enough, he's back in Brewer Blue. And his first start, it went pretty well. I mean, he went five innings. You know, he didn't go super long, but it was his first outing in like two weeks. You know, I, I think he pitched really well. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, it was a solid outing, and he kept the team in the game. Unfortunately, it was the the bullpen that ended up letting it down. And I think, you know, going five innings, like you said, first outing of the year at the big league level, I think that that was a very promising start. And you know, I talked about this last time, but I just I think he'll be able to give us that stability that we need right now. I know Freddie, I think, should be coming back shortly, but with Burns and just some inconsistencies from Shasin and Woodruff, um, having a veteran presence like that who can go eat up innings, I think is going to be really valuable. And also by eating up those innings, have a trickle-down effect to the bullpen as well. Not to mention being left-handed. That's yes, that important as well. As well. Uh, Matthew, what did you? Yeah, Matthew, what did you think of of the Gio Gonzalez signing and, and his first start back in Milwaukee? 
I mean, I, I liked it. It's, I mean, $2 million, like, it, you can't go wrong with that. There were a bunch of teams. I think in the end they said there were up to nine teams who were uh, after him, and he ends up signing with us for just two. And so, you know, even if it didn't work out, you know, it's just $2 million, but it turned out that it did. Little might have been a little shaky to some people at first, but he, you're right, he went the five, um, just a couple runs. And um, yeah, I mean, every team's going to go through multiple starters over the year. So, you know, to have that extra arm now and, you know, be able to replace guys when they're either hurt or, um, working through struggles it's i i love it yeah geo gonzalez really kind of does bring that added depth that added presence to the milwaukee brewers rotation that's really seen some struggles in the first month of the season uh, namely guys like corbin burns and freddie peralta have gone through their share of struggles brandon woodruff uh, has has had his ups and downs as well and you'll least just seen he's also kind of had his uh, ups and downs his season has not really gone the way most people thought. He's got an ERA over six. Uh, his home run fly ball ratio is way up there from last year and way over his career averages. Uh, his walk rate has increased this year. And, Paul, are, are you concerned at all with Chassin's starts through, through, the, through his first six outings of the years? Are you, are you concerned with his numbers and his production so far? Um, honestly, I'm not of the of the bunch. I, I guess the four that have struggled, the three young guys, and then Shasin, he's the one I'm least concerned about. Um, I guess I'm just giving him the benefit of the doubt as being a veteran. And he was, you know, he put on a nice season last year, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't one of those flash in the pan seasons where you expect, you know, maybe some big regression compared to what his career averages have been. It was within the ballpark of what he's done his entire career. Um, so I'm still not, you know, I'm bummed out at how he's done, but I'm not overly concerned yet at this point. Um, like you said, it's been a lot of the control issues with the walks and catching a lot of the plate and a lot of hard hit balls, but I think he'll get it under control. Matt, what about you? Um, I mean, they've always talked about how the scene's been a notoriously slow starter. Um, he is just pulling it up. He's career 4.33 in April, March, 4.69 in May. And then it goes down every month after that, all the way down to 335 career in September and October. So it's, we saw this last year too. And people were wondering and kind of griping a little bit at the beginning of, oh, this, you know, this isn't going to pay off. And then he ends up being our best pitcher. So um, I think that's why it's easy to have patience with him. And it's just the track record. And yeah. I just, oh, I just want to say, I just want to add too. I mean, I know that there's a lot of expectations on the team this year. And it's, you know, if you go off Twitter where everything's under an extreme microscope, every, every pitch or game is being examined really closely, but even just the team as a whole, I mean, last year going into May, they were 17 and 13. They have their chance for their 17th win of the month of April or for the season this far. So I think they're doing fine as a whole. Yeah, it's been bumpy. It hasn't gone as everyone would have hoped, but it's a long season and, you know, they're, they're doing fine given the difficult schedule and all of the circumstances so far. Yeah. And one of our other contributors, uh, another Matthew, 
uh, Matt Yeasel, he wrote about this the other day on the site, you know, about the tough schedule that the Brewers have gone through. I mean, they faced the Dodgers and the Cardinals, then the Dodgers and the Cardinals, like, again, like, all back-to-back, all in a row. Like, that's an incredibly tough schedule to play. And this entire month of April has basically been a gauntlet for the Brewers to go through. So, I mean, you look at the Brewers pitching and, like, yeah, it hasn't been ideal, but look at the the caliber of the teams that they're playing against here early on, and they're getting them all back-to-back-to-back. And, I mean, for a playoff team, like, you should be pitching well and playing well against the best teams in the league. But doing that in October and doing that in April are two completely different things. And I, I feel like the... I feel like the team is fine, and once they get into a groove, um, they'll be able to play a whole lot better and get a lot more wins. But with the caliber of the teams that they've been playing against here early on, I mean, it's been a tough stretch for for any team to go through. Yeah, exactly. And what you're saying, 17 of their, I think, games 31 tonight, 17 of their 31 games have been L.A. or St. Louis so far this season. Um LA, LA is fifth in OPS, second in runs. St. Louis is fifth in runs, seventh in OPS. They're going against some heavy hitting offenses. Yeah. And Paul Goldschmidt is a large part of the Cardinals' <laughs> right. offense. And he's been killing the Brewers. And Cody Bellinger is also a large part of the Dodgers' offense. And I think it's going to be him and Yelich going down to the wire for the NL MVP this year, the way both have been playing in the month of April. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, it, Bellinger has been so hot, and it, I don't think he beat us up nearly as much last year as this year. But, man, just watching those two go at it, and I'm, I'm glad we're done with them. We're done with them for the year, right? Yeah, until the postseason where the Brewers will likely have to face them at some point. Of course. So, yeah. unfortunately, we can't see that MVP battle uh side by side again but uh it's gonna come down to the wire you know that was one thing that kind of uh i didn't like about the schedule was having so many of these games not just not just because they're good teams at the start of the year but the impact that it has you know the brewers lost the season series to la three to four you know for tiebreakers coming down the stretch you know five months from now that could have a huge weight and where you know assuming we make the playoffs where we end up as a seed and who we're playing and all that just from, you know, games that are played now. I know they all matter the same, but I would have liked to at least have the series spread out a little bit. Yeah, and I mean the team that the team that the Brewers have in April is going to be a whole lot different than the team that the Brewers will have in August and September. Whether it's just mm-hmm. the actual guys on the team with with who they get at the trade deadline or just, you know, how the guys are playing and and kind of their mentality, their attitude like Facing Jesus Aguilar now is a whole lot different than what you could get with facing Jesus Aguilar in, in June, July, or August. And that that's just kind of been, been the weird thing about playing all these really good teams early on. So, I mean, with, with Gio Gonzalez back – I kind of want to get back to the rotation here. With Gio Gonzalez kind of back in the fold, um, Freddie Peralta is also coming back into the fold. Craig Council announced – on Tuesday here, that Peralta would be rejoining the rotation on Thursday for the series finale against the Rockies. So he's coming back into the rotation after a rehab start down in Double A Biloxi. And even though he struggled early on uh, in his in his first couple starts, he's being you know he's coming back to a rotation spot. 
So with Peralta coming back, who leaves the, the current group? Is it going to be Chase Anderson heading back to the bullpen? Is Gio Gonzalez going to head to the bullpen? Uh, Matt, I'll, I'll let you go first. How, how do you think the Brewers play this with Peralta's return? I mean, I have to think that Anderson is the one that goes to the pen. Um, I, I don't think they signed Gio to start one and then start going to relief right away. Um, that had really surprised me. And obviously they keep talking about how they want to stick with the young guys. They're going to be starters, um, at least for the foreseeable future. Um, Chase Anderson did all right out of the pen. It was a little bit of a rough start to the year, but um, his ERA was sitting around, uh, I think it's sitting around three now. Um, so he's settled in and his two starts have looked pretty good. So um, he's he's been acting like a professional, um, doing whatever the Brewers need him to do to win. And so I think he'll accept whatever happens. And if that means going to the bullpen, um, it makes the most sense for the team to me. Paul? Um, yeah, I 100% agree. I think that, you know, Chase has already started there. And as Matt pointed out, he's he's really been a pro's pro, as they say, um, doing whatever's best for the team. Um, I, didn't, I think keeping Gio in the rotation, there's more value. We mentioned him being a lefty. Um, also, just as I said, that veteran presence, I think, is going to be really helpful. Uh, but part of me thinks as well, and this is speculation on my part, that there, I think in the conversation to get him to come to Milwaukee, Gio wanted to be a starter and he made that clear. So I think that that's where they're planning to keep him. Um, I don't know if he would assign knowing that he might end up in the bullpen a week later. Yeah, I think it's going to be Chase as well. And the Brewers have also kind of, or at least Adam McAlvey and Tom Hodgecourt have kind of flowed this possibility that the Brewers could go with a six-man rotation at, at some point with Peralta coming back and then Nelson coming back and then Burns eventually coming back. You know, they have a lot of big league quality starters when everyone's healthy and everyone's pitching well. And there's only so many guys they can put into a rotation. So there might be the possibility of them going with, you know, a six-man rotation or maybe even um, tandem starts. I I saw that listed as a possibility as well. So you have maybe Freddie go four innings and then you have, Burns or Woodruff go four innings, and then Hayter, the final one, or Jeffress, or whoever it is for the final inning, something like that. Kind of what you see in the minor leagues when they have so many starters at a certain level. Uh, I've seen that floated around as a possibility. So do you guys think that a six-man rotation or like tandem starts uh, with some of these guys is a viable option for the Brewers to go with moving forward when Peralta gets back and Nelson gets back? and Gio is there, and Burns is there. Do, do you think with all those guys that that's something that the Brewers have to consider using? Um, I think I could see it being very much a possibility. I just think it'll be more towards the end of the season. I think right now they're going to go with the more traditional five-man rotation, especially given that Knable's out, and up to this point, we hope he gets better or performs better, but JJ hasn't been the same. So I think sticking with the five man and having that depth and having it in the bullpen, um, at least early on in the season, you know, once they get to September rosters expand, um, you know, as we saw last year, anything's fair game with Craig council. So I like that approach. And I liked when they did um, 
did that last year, but I think it'll be more towards the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't put anything past Council considering, you know, his bullpenning trickery from last year. But I don't think I don't think you even mentioned Nelson either, which obviously we've don't have a timeline on him yet, but that's just another potential log to the log jam. I mean, there's always guys who get hurt, guys who have to get sent down to work on things. So depth, I mean, Stearns has always said the same thing, like depth is never a bad thing. Um, so who knows what will happen between now and then where we might just plain need some of those guys. But, yeah, it would be real interesting if we've got all those guys ready back to start. Good yeah. problem to have. Yeah. I mean, if they're all healthy and pitching well, I mean – it's going to be tough to find, you know, spots for him in the rotation, and that's kind of what led the Brewers last year, sort of, to have you know Corbin Burns in the bullpen and Brandon Woodruff in the bullpen, and you had all those guys. It's like, wow, you got a bunch of starters there in the bullpen, only going through a lineup one time, using all their stuff, going all out. It's like this is incredible, and the Brewers have kind of not had that this year with Burns and Woodruff and Peralta graduating to the rotation. So that's kind of left a couple of holes in the bullpen. Um, and, and the bullpen has struggled a bit early on, and also you could attribute that to uh, the teams that the Brewers are facing. But also just some of the guys back there just haven't been performing, and, and the Brewers made a couple of moves the other day. Jay Jackson gets selected to the 40-man and the 25-man roster. Johnny Hart gets recalled. Uh, Aaron Wilkerson gets put on the 10-day injured list. Not, I almost said disabled list, but the injured list. And uh-huh. with, with a foot contusion, I don't know how he got that, but okay, a foot contusion for Aaron Wilkerson. And Alex Wilson gets designated for assignment. I, I know he's had some struggles lately. He started off strong, but Alex Wilson's struggles lead to a DFA. Paul, your thoughts on that? I'll be honest, that one caught me off guard. Um, I know the last two starts he's had, he's struggled. But prior to that, um, he had made 11 starts. And he had given up eight runs in those 11 starts. But still, that's a little bit misleading. Six of those eight came in the start against the Cubs. Mm -hmm. uh, Their blowout victory. And the other two came in another outing. So he had nine scoreless outings, if I'm doing my math correctly. Um and four where he's given up runs. You know, when he struggled, he struggled. But when he's been on, he's been on. And just given the, the, you know, they haven't been able to find someone reliable or the depth is in question right now, I, like I said, that was a surprising move to me. Matt, what do you think? Yeah, I I'm, I was kind of the same. I mean, I was a Wilson apologist for a little while on Twitter because of exactly that. His ERA was so inflated because of the mm-hmm. two – uh, you know, the six-run outing and the two-run outing. Um, but aside from that, he hadn't given up a home run between the – or not a home run, um, any runs between uh, – before the last couple games. Um, I, I don't know if it was a reaction to just how rough the pitching in general has been. Um, and they just decided they needed to get things fixed a little faster. I don't know. But, yeah, I was kind of in the same boat. Um, but at, at the same time, you know, I was – kind of looking up earlier some of the names from last year that moved on a little quicker. Um, you know, we had the Boone Logan experiment at the beginning of last oh, year. Yeah. All, 
Oliver Drake moved on from us to his 27th team or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's, all, within a, all within a month too. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's going to be a lot of turnover every year and it happened last year and it's already starting to happen this year. I mean, yeah, it would seem like a little bit of a quick trigger on Wilson, but I mean, if it settles things down faster, um, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a championship caliber team, so you can only stick with guys who are struggling for so long. I feel like, and you know, even though like, I, I feel like Wilson's still a good pitcher and like he can work through his struggles but with just where the Brewers are right now, I, I don't think keeping a guy amidst his struggles to you know hope he can figure it out is something that they're really willing to do um, in a bullpen where they have a bunch of other qualified options. Like I mean, Jay Jackson was dominating at AAA. He had dominated for the past three years in the Japanese baseball league. So they felt you know it's time to give him a chance, and they had a clear forty-man roster spot. And you look at the group. Alex Wilson was the worst performing one of, of all of them in that bullpen. So, you know, it's easy to just, you know, cut bait with him and, and move up to Jackson. I mean, Craig Council hopes that Wilson clears waivers and comes back to the Brewers and, and still pitches meaningful innings for him. And I don't I don't doubt that. I don't I don't doubt that he believes that. And, you know, I'd kinda like to see that. Like I'd like to see him work through his struggles and get back to, you know, being what he was through the first, you know, three, four, five outings of the year. And, you know, maybe he can be that guy, but just with where the Brewers are right now, keeping him and hoping that he'll get through it isn't really something that they're they're looking to do. Yeah, exactly. And the Brewers are such an analytically driven team. I wonder if there's something just in the in the deep numbers that Council Stern and the rest of their management squad looks at that just was not – you know, not something that they were on board with. Yeah. So that'll be fun to watch how, how they manage that bullpen. And Donnie Hart, uh, he makes a third funky, crafty lefty out of that Brewers bullpen. He's got kind of that sidewinding, cross-firing delivery-ish that's very similar to Alex Claudio and Josh Hader, except just Josh Hader throws a whole lot harder than the other two. But... Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting bullpen that they got out there. And, I mean, I like Donnie Hart. I like adding more lefties to this team. I think the Brewers have been lacking lefties, and that's a serious issue for the past couple years. But now they got Gio Gonzalez for the rotation. They got three lefties in the bullpen, so my left-handed heart is happy right now. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it it's, helps to have him there, too, because they had mentioned last night during the broadcast, uh, Claudio, I think last night was his 17th appearance, and that was leading all of Major League Baseball. So taking a little bit of stress off of him wouldn't hurt either. Absolutely. But another pitcher that's out there that some Brewers fans want to uh, take the stress off of everyone is Craig Kimbrell, because he's a free agent out there, and he's been one of the best relievers in the league for a long, long time now. And he's still a free agent. But now, I mean, we're, what, five weeks into the season now. We are about five weeks away from the from the MLB draft. And if he waits to sign after the draft, that draft pick compensation goes away because he uh, was offered a qualifying offer during the offseason. He rejected it. 
So for whatever team that signs them, they would have to give up a draft pick and the pool and the bonus pool money that is associated with that draft pick. And just five weeks away from the draft, it's getting a little bit more difficult for to convince teams to do that. So, Paul, I'll ask you first. Would you be willing to wait on Craig Kimbrell until after the draft, or would you rather just the Brewers go out and sign him right now? Oh, I'd 100% um, want to wait, um, you know, for the reasons that you had mentioned. And also, we're still a month into the season. I want to see how the rest of the bullpen and the starting rotation, and, you know, because that's that is its trickle-down effects of the bullpen, I still want to see how that plays out. Um, you know, the season's still too early for me. And also, that's a hefty amount of money um, that's going to have to be paid out eventually. Um, and also, with the longer you wait, it gets a little less just from not playing the whole season. But, and he did struggle during the playoffs last year. I know that now, or they were saying that he was, you know, batters were being able to read his, his pitches and what he was going to throw. But there's no guarantee that he's going to come in and be the same. Craig Kimbrell. I mentioned this last week when the Cardinals signed Greg Holland last year on opening day, you know, earlier than where we are now, that really backfired on them. And I still think that, you know, spring training is incredibly important for pitchers and I'm sure he's working out and he's working out hard, but it's, it's not a live game. So it's no guarantee that he's going to come in and be the hall of famer that he has been. And it's a lot of money. So I'm a hundred percent comfortable with waiting. Matt, what about you? Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I know uh, Gio, I I thought I heard that his contract actually wasn't prorated. So there's always the chance that if we were to sign him early, he'd want to do the same thing. The longer and longer we go, he might cut a deal. And we know we're already pretty cash-strapped at this point, um, which is why a $2 million deal for Gio is – the type of thing we'd be doing right now. So keep the draft pick, um, pay him a little bit less. Um, yeah. I mean, because of all of that, I, I'm in the same boat. Yeah. I mean, if Kimbrel were, were to do like, you know, fully guaranteed deal, like not prorated, it would just have to be, you know, a lower version of it. Like, you know, say you sign for, you know, 15 million, like, you know, if you do it prorated, say it comes down to like what, 12, 13, and if you just sign, you know, twelve, thirteen guaranteed, anyways, it's like that's kind of what the prorated version would have been. So it doesn't really matter, I I think, when it comes to that. And for Kimbrel, I mean, he's still looking for a multi-year deal. Kike, Dallas Keiko is more willing to take a one-year deal. So for him, it's kind of more important to get back into, um, get back into a groove, get with a team as early as you can to get as much. Uh, experience in this season, get get as much, you know, gain, get get as many games in as you can this season if you're going to re-enter the market next year. But for Kimbrel, who's looking to sign, you know, for three years, about it's not as important. So that I think the market's willing to wait until after the draft because now, I mean, front offices are getting closer to the draft. They may be getting a bit more excited about draft prospects and. You know what they could bring to the organization. So with that, I don't think they they are willing as willing to give up those draft picks and, and that draft capital right now. 
Whereas, you know, if you ask them that in December or January when the draft is like the furthest thing from their mind, they're like, oh, yeah, sure, fine. Give up the draft pick. It's fine. No problem. So that's where I think the proximity of it makes teams kind of question. It's like, eh, what if I just wait just a little bit longer and then I can get them and, and keep the draft pick? If that makes sense. No, I 100% agree. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it's just, I mean, I love the MLB draft, but that's just kind of because I'm a baseball nerd over here, but that that's just me. Um, I also love the NFL draft. I, I like all drafts, kind of. You know, all, all sports drafts. MLB, NFL, NBA. I don't really follow the NHL draft that much, but that's mostly because I don't really follow the NHL. Uh, <laughs> yeah. it's Dra- Draft's a time of hope, regardless yeah. of where, you know, you could be the best team in the league, and you're like, oh, who are we going to get to keep our run going? Or you're the bottom feeder, and it's like, all right, who are the new guys that are going to take us up? There's hope. Yeah, absolutely, and and there's excitement for for all the new players. A lot to dream off of, and the mm-hmm. Packers just concluded their NFL draft this past week. And Paul, you've had a lot of fun uh, covering that over at Dairyland Express, haven't you? I have. I loved it. I, I like you said, I'm a draft nerd as well. I absolutely love it. One of my NFL drafts, one of my favorite weekends of the year. Yeah, just sitting on t- sitting on the couch watching the TV for several hours <laughs> yeah. each and every day. Seeing all these names come off the board, it's like, huh, thought he would have gone earlier. Or, oh, wow, Daniel Jones, really? <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, that was a surprise. Absolutely. I wasn't entirely surprised. Like, I, I saw all those rumors, like, coming out, you know, how the Giants are pass rusher crazed at number six. I'm like, oh, they're totally grabbing a quarterback. This is totally a smokescreen. <laughs> and sure enough, Daniel Jones over Dwayne Haskins. That was yikes. And then Dwayne Haskins goes to the Redskins, our division rival. Mm-hmm. Even better. I cannot wait to see Daniel Jones versus Dwayne Haskins in the next 10 to 15 years. If Daniel Jones <laughs> lasts 10 to 15 years. I was just going to say. <laughs> uh, but, hey, who knows? Maybe, maybe the Giants were right. Maybe Daniel Jones will turn out to be the better pick of the two. That's the thing about the draft, and I'm guilty of it as well because it's always fun to speculate and give your opinion and all that. But we won't, you know, Packers included, we're not going to know how good this draft was for for at least three years. At least three years, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, hey. But it's always fun to hand out grades right now. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I mean, hey, everyone thought drafting Alex Smith over Aaron Rodgers was a good idea back in the day. Exactly. Look how that turned out. Yeah. Um, so another thing I want to talk about is Jesus Aguilar, who he's been mired in quite the slump um, heading into this week. And, you know, he didn't have a home run. You know, he was really struggling at the plate. He just wasn't looking right. And then Monday against Kyle Freeland, he hits two home runs. And then tonight, a three-run homer. Against Herman Marquez. Yeah. And the Brewers now have a 4 nothing lead over the Rockies. We are currently in the top of the ninth um, as we're recording this live right now. So Ryan Braun grounded into a double play that scored Ben Gamble in the sixth and then in the seventh. Jesus Aguilar, a three-run homer to score Yasmani Grandal and Travis Shaw. 
And Jesus Aguilar is a guy who's really kind of drawn the ire of some Brewers fans. You know, he was really struggling, really pressing at the plate uh, early on this season. And you're just wondering, you know, when is he going to get it together? Like, was he just a flash in the pan last year? Was it just a really good two-month stretch? And then he's just mediocre after that. Is he really actually a good quality hitter? And there are many calling for him to be, you know, DFA'd or benched or put into a platoon or something. Give Eric Thames some at-bats because he's been hitting a lot better. And Craig Council even said prior to Monday's game, we're at the point where we need to see results from Jesus Aguilar. Well, Jesus Aguilar was listening, and he put up some results. That's some good management right there. Yeah. Why didn't he say that like you two weeks to, ago? Yeah, you just got to do better. You just got to do better, bud. Yeah. Or just like, hey, you got to do better. You know, all, all about the tone. You know, if you got a little bit of an angry tone, it's like, all right, let's go. And sure enough, went three for four yesterday. And now another home run today. So he's already up to three on the season. Or at least three in the last two days. So Aguilar's finally getting going. You know, and Eric Thames is kind of a guy who's like, hey, maybe I'm getting back into pushing for, for regular playing time and being, you know, starting starting first baseman again. And Jesus Aguilar's like, uh-uh, not today. Uh, Matthew, what, what do you think of Jesus Aguilar? Do you think this uh, two-game kind of bust out of his slump is real and, and he'll finally get back into a groove at the plate and, and he'll get back to his hitting ways? Or is this just kind of a, a couple-day good stretch and then back to struggling? Man, I mean, looking at the actual hits themselves last night and then tonight again, man, I'm, I'm sure hoping uh, that this is the start of something. Um, you, going to last night, so the first home run was just crunched to straightaway center. Yeah. And that was the one that, you know, everyone wanted to see was just like him just blast something and really, you know, get off the schneid. Um, but after that, his second home run and his um, single after that both went opposite field. And then tonight, the um, I have the game on here too, and the three-run homer he hit tonight was also opposite field. And last year, uh, a lot of when he was able to have success, he was able to take, you know, two strike pitches or, you know, a lot of hits the other way. He came in big in a lot of situations and that was part of its success. So the fact that he's, you know, almost manufacturing it a little bit, um, I think is a reason for optimism. Um, and with the home runs, I mean, uh, at this point last year, he had one home run after April. So he's actually had a last year's pace, yeah. it turns out. <laughs> now, granted, he had a lot more hits um, aside from home runs than he did this year, but um, he didn't turn on the power till you know late last year. So the home runs themselves, hopefully they'll come. But just the way he's looked, gosh, he's looked just a lot better these two days. Yeah, um, I agree with what you said, especially with going to opposite field. He was very, very, very good at doing that last year, um, and I think a lot of a lot of people are looking at his first half last year. I got it pulled up here: two ninety eight, three seventy three, six twenty one slash Ooh. line. That's just not realistic, folks. <laughs> that was a that yeah. was a heck of a run, but that's not going to be his career averages. I'm looking at his second half here, 245, 324, 436, 
38 RBIs, 11 home runs. I think the home run total could be a little low, but I could, you know, I see that being kind of where he'll hang out for his career as far as his slash line goes. And you could tell his confidence just wasn't there when he was at the plate. He just wasn't trusting what he was seeing. His swings weren't confident. Um, and when I said last week, I said, I think it's just going to take that one home run to put him over and we're going to see a big jump in production. So I'm going to stick to that prediction until proven otherwise. Yeah, I, I'm a I'm a big believer in Jesus Aguilar and his ability to come out of the slump. And it, you know, sometimes you know, just like in basketball, when you're when your shooting goes cold, all it takes is just to see one go in um, to really kind of turn things around and get into a groove. And for Aguilar, just seeing one get over the wall, um, I, I think that's going to be good for him. And now it's led to a second one going over the wall and a third one going over. So. I also agree with what you said about his second half numbers last year. I think that's more in line with what I'd expect from him as a hitter, kind of hitting around like 240, 250-ish, decent on-base percentage, um, good slugging numbers. But, I mean, a 300 hitter, I don't see that being Jesus Aguilar. I I think all that success early on was just from the fact that he went from part-time player to full-time player for the first time and pitchers didn't have enough information about him to kind of know how to get him out. So he just kind of went through mashing all those fastballs and everything that pitchers were throwing to him because they didn't know how to attack him. Then after the All-Star break, they kind of figured out, and it's like, hey, this is how you attack Jesus Aguilar, and it was a much bigger struggle for him after that. So I'm also really tired of some people just randomly bringing up, oh, maybe it was you know the home run derby. Home run derby slump causes this. I'm like, he was in there for one round, man. That's one. That was like one, like couple, like what, two minute round of BP. Like that is not enough to completely throw off an entire second half and throw off the entire next season. You know, I mean, if he had, if he had made it to like you know the championship and like was doing that, like then. I mean, even then, it, it's a stretch. But, I mean, after one round, to say, oh, yeah, that completely screwed up a swing, it's like, that was a two-minute round of BP. It's all mm-hmm. it is. You know, especially considering they were commenting during the Derby last year that he specifically was taking so much time because he didn't want to mess with his swing and mess with his tempo. Yeah, he was and going he so ran slow. Out of, he literally ran out of time to hit enough homers. So yeah. if anyone wasn't going to be affected by it, you would have thought it would have been him. Yeah, I, I think the effect on him wasn't – it wasn't because of the home run derby. It was just because maybe pitching coaches and pitching staffs over those four days of the All-Star break just went back, looked through film. It's like, okay, we got enough on this guy. How do we get him out? So that that's what I think it is with him. Um, but yeah, so he's he's kind of back to his swinging ways. And let's see, Daniel Murphy drew a walk, so he's running on first, one out here on top of the night. Um, oh great, Nolan Arenado at the plate. Juju Guerra has been pitching really well so far. Um, he's got six strikeouts already tonight. And Yulis Chasin went six innings. Giving up only two hits. He's the first Brewer starter to go six innings in since 1987. It just seems like that long because, man, it's been a while. 
The Brewers do sure not are. have starting pitchers go six innings very long. Zach Davies almost did it yesterday. He almost did it. He went five and a third. He just couldn't get those next couple guys out. Council had to pull him. But Yulis Chassin did it today. And, and we were talking earlier in, in the podcast about you know Chassin's struggles and you know are we worried? Will he turn this around? I feel like as soon as we start talking about that, like as soon as you say, oh yeah, I don't know, you know, maybe he's going to not be able to turn it around. He'll just go six shutout innings. You know, he'll he'll just do that to you, or at least that's just me. Uh oh, in play runs. I, I've got the game day here on my phone. In play runs does not sound good. Nolan Arenado hits a double. Yeah, well. Yep. There goes the shutout. Uh, Hater, they showed Hater warming in the bullpen right before this. So here we go. Josh Hater. I love that guy. He showed a little too much humanity for me in that series against the Dodgers. A little too much. Like, why couldn't you be human? You know, against a team like the Mets or. You know, just like someone else. Like, why does it got to be the Dodgers? Hate those guys. Yeah. Um, The big news, really, kind of over these past couple days, though, is Christian Yelich. And Christian Yelich has left, or he's day-to-day currently. He left a game against the Mets. He's day-to-day with low back discomfort from carrying the entire Brewers team on his back since last July. That is the only explanation for this injury. He's been carrying this team on his back for too long, so his back got a little discomfort. Uh, Paul, how concerned are you for Christian Yelich right now? Um, not too much. You know, Initially, I was. Anytime you see Christian Yelich is leaving the game, um, you, you get a little concerned, and rightfully so. But they haven't put him on the injured list. Um, I think I saw he's expected to be coming back not too long from now. Um, so I'm not I'm not that concerned at all. It's a long season. He was going to get his days off anyway, so not, I'm not worried. Matt, are you worried at all? Um, no. I mean, they mentioned that he – He's had back problems since his Miami days even. Um, I I think he spent a little time on the DL at the very beginning of last year, if I remember correctly. Um, It's just another reason why you're glad you have depth and outfield depth for the Brewers is uh, one of their strengths. So, you know, they're playing it cautious. Um, Give him a couple days to sit. Like, Like you guys said, you know, the fact that he's not on the injured list is obviously promising. I mean, Moustakas fractured his finger and didn't even have to go on the uh, injured list. So um, they're, they're being safe with it. And, you know, I'm sure when he comes back, he'll be back to his shoulder bearing ways. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not that concerned with it right now either. The Brewers have said he's trending towards playing um, in the series against the Mets this weekend. So, I mean, he'd be out for the next two games uh, and then he'd be ready to go for that series if he does not play in the first game of the Mets series, then I think it's time to be concerned. But until that happens, I, I think he's going to be fine. They're just giving him a couple days, and you know he'll be he'll be fine. The 
the Brewers' offense, I mean, now that Jesus Aguilar is heating up, I mean, he's really kind of he's going to kind of help take over for the uh, to make up for the lack of production with Yelch not in the lineup. So if Aguilar can get going and Shaw can get going, and I mean, Grandal and Mustakis have been going quite well. Like if you get all those guys going, even not having Yelich, the team should be fine without him. And I mean, with the win last night and what's looking like a win here on Tuesday night, uh, with Josh Hader now coming into the game to finish it off. With that, I mean, they did pretty well against Kyle Freeland and Herman Marquez, and Marquez did kind of no hit them for the first five innings, but. I mean, the Brewers pitching matched up well, and the hitting got to them uh, when they needed to. And because of that, they're in they're in pretty good shape. And yeah, I mean, Yelich really kind of should be he should be fine. Yeah, I don't think the Brewers are terribly concerned either, just for the fact that they announced that they were expecting them to play in the Mets series. I'm guessing if there was even a ten or fifteen percent chance that you know, maybe he would sit out. I don't think they would have announced it because just of the the reaction there would be of, oh, he's going to play Thursday. Thursday rolls around, and then he's not in the lineup. Um, so I think they just would have kept it a little more quiet if there was uncertainty. So I think I don't think they're too concerned either. No. And I think it helps that Gamble has, you know, he's stepped up lately. He um, has. He's got the batting average up to almost 270. Um, well, that was before tonight. Um, you're making plays in the outfield, that diving play the other night. Um, you know, they've, they've got him playing decently solid right now. So that gives you the advantage of being able to sit Yelich for a couple days when needed. I love Ben Gamble. I mean, he's been, he's been great. I mean, he's hitting well. He doesn't have the home run power like Domingo Santana did. But he's got the versatility in the outfield. He can play all three positions. I mean, he's got a pretty good arm. And, I mean, he's hitting quite well, and he's coming up in some big spots. So, I mean, I, I really like that Ben Gamble trade. I mean, it looked early on like it was going to be lopsided, that Santana's just, you know, going to slug his way through everything with the Mariners, and the Brewers weren't getting much out of Gamble. But, I mean, the Brewers kind of got more of what they needed in Gamble as a fourth outfielder, as a lefty, as a versatile outfielder. I mean, he can also hit for a pretty good average. Plus, they also got the extra minor league right-hander. So there's just kind of the extra value there in that trade. And who knows if Noah Zavolos will actually turn out to be anything at the big league level. But I, I still think that's a pretty fair trade, at least for right now through the first month. I mean, I like the way Grant Gamble's been producing. And... You know, I, I think he's been a really good addition to this team. Plus, he shotguns Red Bulls with his cleats <laughs> before games, which is like the most awesome thing for a pregame routine I think I've ever seen. I mean, he's certainly got me inspired. I I think it's time for oh, me to oh, go to my early oh, morning. Uh, Ian Desmond just hit yeah. a home run off Josh Hader. Four to three, two outs. Oh, that was uh, deep, too. So speaking of Josh Hader being human at the wrong times. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, wow. Ian Desmond. Yeah, it, and he, I mean, he, he pulled that hard, too. That went left yeah. center, way I mean, that behind pit, the Brewers' bullpen. 
that pitch wasn't really a bad location. It was on the inside corner. He just somehow mm-hmm. turned on yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Yikes. Yeah, 95 mile an hour fastball. He was just sitting and waiting on it. Yeah, I should have gone with the slider. First two pitches before that were fastballs as well. Well, at least they still have the lead. Thank yeah. thank Jesus for Jesus. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's really coming up big right there. Um, man, that, that stinks. Um, do you guys watch Game of Thrones at all? Matt, Matt, do you watch Game of Thrones? I w- uh, watched it with my wife a while back. We got to about halfway through season five and then saw something shiny on Netflix or something and then got <laughs> distracted. And so uh, I am so you're sadly not, not caught up. Yeah, you're not watching the new season. Paul, I, I don't think you are, right? Or are you? No, I'm, I'm a part of the very small percentage of the population that's never even seen an episode. Uh, so I thought. Man, I got I got no one to talk the the latest episode with. <laughs> this is disappointing. Based on Twitter on Sunday night, though, it was, it was something else. I'm looking. It was something. wild. Oh my goodness, <laughs> I lo- I loved it. Like you you know those um, like Apple watches or, or whatever the or the Fitbits or it's like, hey, we detected a heartbeat of over 120 beats per minute while you were sitting still doing nothing. Like, is everything okay? And it's like. <laughs> It's like everything's not okay, but like I'm fine. I'm just watching Game of Thrones. <laughs> it, it was one of those kinds of episodes. Ugh, man. I've seen plenty enough spoilers of that. Now I'm hoping I don't see spoilers before Endgame. Oh, yeah. Yeah, people just love spoiling for some reason. Now, I mean, with Game of Thrones, I feel like it's a bit different for the internet spoilers because it's just like... It's kind of out there. It's a bit more, you know, easy for everyone to see at once as opposed to seeing it there in the theaters. Did he, Josh had to get the final out? Yep. Ah, yep. Now I saw it. You there can always count on Mark Reynolds for a strikeout. Always. There's a reason Mark Reynolds or Mark has a K in his name. Well, that's another win for the Brewers. So that they've taken the first two from the Rockies. That's that's always good. And they two did series have, wins in a row. Yeah, I, I've been having some fun with the Rocks pile, the fan-sided Rockies site on Twitter about uh, last year's series sweep. <laughs> and I'll announce it again for all the worrying fans out there: the Brewers will enter May with the same amount of wins this year as they did last year. So I think the Brewers are in uh, pretty good shape, I'd say. They're doing just because last year, I mean, if you look at how they went per month, most of the months they were around five hundred. You know, a couple over, a couple under, and then they had two. I think May was one of them, and in September where they just yeah. went nuts. Yeah. So that that's kind of all it you, takes. You don't win division races. Yep, you don't win division races in April, but you sure as heck can take yourself out of them. Exactly, and I've been saying that for weeks. <laughs> saying that on this show for a while. But yeah, I mean Maybe that's where I heard it. Yeah. I was also please saying credit, please credit David. Yes, thank you. <laughs> I said it on ESPN Lacrosse as well. You can't win a division in April, but you can lose one. 
So it's not the most important time of the year, but it's kind of an important time of the year. You know, you don't want to fall too far behind and then put yourself out of the race like the Reds. Um, they're still in fifth, right? I think they're still in last place. Mm-hmm. The Pirates like came back to earth recently. Yeah, I was expecting that. I'm, the Pirates were not going to, they're not going to win the division. They're, they're not that good. They have a pretty good rotation, but I don't, I don't believe in that team. I don't. Mm-hmm. I think I Except think that's when the Brewers are playing there. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I think the Pirates will finish last in the division. Actually, I, I have the Reds finishing ahead of them. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I have the Brewers. I mean, fin- go ahead. There were plenty enough people who thought the Reds were going to push for a top three spot just because of all the names they added, but clearly not working out for them yet. No, I don't think Alex Wood has pitched for him yet. That also hmm. makes it a bit tougher, considering he was one of their big-name pitching additions that they got. But, I mean, they got Puig, they got Kemp, um, and those guys weren't really hitting much to start the year. But that's Cincinnati's issue, not ours. Yeah, it's... uh. It's gonna be interesting. So yeah, Matthew Matthew Dwoskin is at Endgame tonight, so that's the reason he's not here on the podcast. In case you all were wondering um, and forgot earlier about <laughs> why he's not here, skipping out two weeks in a row. What a shame, that guy. Sometimes, sometimes you know Matthew just can't stand him. <laughs> we we should have the whole end of the podcast here just be nothing but trashing Matthew. I'm sure he'd love it when he listens to the podcast afterwards. Yeah, I was gonna say that's a good way to double check to see if he's keeping tabs. Yeah, see see if he's actually listening. <laughs> By the way, Matthew, you suck. No, not not really. <laughs> uh, just kidding. Yeah, I just hope he doesn't spoil a uh, end game. For me or anyone else, he'll probably come back in. He'll probably come back in the group chat and just be like, "Hey, this person died." It's like, "Oh, great, thanks." <laughs> Consider chat muted for two days. Yeah. Hmm. Oh well. Um. Let's see. I I don't think we got anything in our mailbag this week, which is unfortunate. Put it out on Twitter earlier today, and let's see. I don't think we got much. We had one reply here. It's not really a question. It's It just says, also how Zach Davies is the most underrated pitcher in baseball merely because he tops out around 90-92. His breaking and off-speed stuff, keeping everyone off balance and looking silly. That's not a question, really. <laughs> Like, okay, so Zach Davies is, is underrated. I mean, yeah, he's the Brewers' fifth starter, and he's got an ERA under two. I mean, Davies has been pitching really well so far. He does. The, the question does maybe bring up a good point about uh, mixing up the pitches he's throwing. Just yeah. Because, you know, we've seen Freddie relies on, you know, the fastball, and he has different variations. Um, you know, Corbin's sticking with his fastball for the most part and his slider, even though he's talked about having four or five pitches. So, yeah, that's helping Davies out. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think what helps Davies out the most is Yasmani Grandal, because where Yasmani Grandal is best at pitch framing is where Davies is best at, you know, throwing, you know, his his fastball and his changeup. You know, he's at his best when he's throwing it down in the zone there, and that's where uh, Grandal's best at framing it. So he's stealing all those strikes for Davies, which is just making him that much more effective. Yeah, I, that's that exactly right, too. I mean, watching his last couple starts, Davies' pitches are exactly there, bottom third or so of the zone, either you know right at the bottom of the zone or right on the black. And, yeah, that's one of the things they said Grandal was going to be good at. And, man, it sure helped him out a lot. Yeah, he's delivered, that's for sure. Although I believe I saw um... – for baseball savant or something like they have like pitch framing stats for like all the catchers like who's the best pitch framer in the league and I looked at the leaderboard and at the top of the list was Manny Pena I'm like I, I, oh that's not the guy I was expecting all right <laughs> I saw the one you were talking about yeah yeah that was and then Grandal was about what halfway down the list something like that I'm I'm not sure where exactly he was, but it was like Pena first. I'm like, whoa, that's not what I was thinking was going to happen there. But I mean, Pena's he's a strong pitch framer. He's great at throwing out base runners. He's not at great at hitting, but hey, you know everyone's got their talents, I guess. <laughs> so, I mean, it works. I think Pena works best as like he works really well as Freddie Peralta's personal catcher. I feel like that makes I feel like that's a really good spot for him because he just works so much better with Freddie and and whenever Freddie's with Grandall, it just didn't go very well and that could just also be because you know Freddie just struggled early on but I, I think there's just something to the rapport that Freddie and and Manny Pena have. Absolutely, it was the same last year as well. Exactly. So that should do it for this week's episode of the Reviewing the Brew podcast. Uh, Be sure to check out all of our stuff at reviewingthebrew.com, all the latest news and analysis of everything Milwaukee Brewers. I'd like to thank our contributor, Matthew Carroll, for joining us this week. And I'd like to thank Dairyland Express co-expert Paul Brettel for joining me once again. Uh, It was great to have both you guys on the show. Thank you, as always. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. All right, we'll be back next week, hopefully with Matthew Dwoskin once again and his beers. Uh, We'll see you again next time (laughs) on the Reviewing the Brew podcast.